everyone. Welcome back to the Theomagination Podcast, a podcast about God, faith, and faithful imagination in the 21st century. I'm your host, Phil Odd. So today is part two of my conversation with Mark Buchanan. Mark is an author, he's a speaker, he's a professor, he's a pastor, and he's an all-around amazing guy. And today, his book, God Walk, which we're talking about on this podcast and the previous episode, has been released. And I've recommended this to so many people, and I'll recommend it to you. Head over to Amazon, to markbuchanan.net, wherever you buy your books, and go and order a copy of this book. It is timely. It's beautiful. It will inspire you, as I know Mark's words in this conversation will as well. Here's part two of that conversation. I wonder if one of the things, and you opened my eyes to this in the book, is that, well, divorce from noticing walking, right? Walking is prayer. Walking is friendship. Walking is attentiveness. Walking can seem to be only about destination. But you, again, insist that walking is not only a movement towards something, but it's also a movement away from something, which is amazing. I think this is chapter 11. It's both of these things simultaneously. So... What does it mean not only to walk towards something, but at the same time to walk away from something? What's that about? Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's the beautiful thing where both the physical act of walking and walking as metaphor join and they become sort of the same thing. And so, I mean, literally when I walk, I'm walking towards something, whether I'm simply going in a loop and coming back to my house or something, yeah. or I'm, you know, I need to get now to the grocery store and my car is not working or I'm going to walk to it. So I'm walking towards something, but by definition, I'm walking away from something Mm. that's just kind of built into the the physical act of walking. But sometimes, you know, in scripture, we see this where a person is walking intentionally toward something good or bad, but by its very nature implies you're going to be walking away from this. So that could be bad that's often the language of Proverbs where, you know, in a sense, the choice is between two paths. And if you walk this way, it will lead toward this, but away from that. So if you walk toward wisdom and the Lord, et cetera, you're walking away from evil and folly or the other way. Mm. Um, and so there's a sense where always I'm walking to and away. And so that, that becomes, I think, very important when we start to think about uh, even our memory, our history. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I've been intrigued for a long time, Phil, and I do a little of this exploration in the book. I've written on it elsewhere about the role of both memory and forgetting in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Both are, are very important spiritual practices to remember things and to forget things. So in a lot of ways, Christian faith and Israel's faith was based on, on sacred memory, remembering you know, the Exodus, remembering the crucifixion. But it's also based on holy forgetting, a kind of an amnesia of forgetting what is behind. And it's navigating those two things that's really crucial, or we tend to remember that which should be forgotten, and we forget that which should should be remembered. But I, I do think that, you know, part of our walking physically can be a deliberate practicing of 
what am I actually walking away from? What memory, what experience, what habit? Mm. I'm going to actually walk as a deliberate or a kind of an embodiment or a sign of that which I'm now departing from. Mm. And a lot of the language of, of actually repentance in the root sense, metanoia, changing your mind, implies that kind of departure from something, not simply a embracing of something. So walking restores, helps us remember, maybe even heals our memories in a sense, which is something I'm fascinated with. But uh, you have another chapter on how walking and healing are tied together as well. I, I mean, I'm very intrigued by both the physical and spiritual benefits of walking. Um, st- stuff gets worked out in us, uh, often physically. I mean, there's um, there, I quote in the book the, the doctor from Harvard Medical School who says, if, if we could make a pill that you lost weight and kept weight off, that you had dramatically reduced chances of these kind of diseases or struggling with mental illness, and long, long list of all these benefits, if we had a pill that could do that, it would fly off the shelves. Mm. But we actually do have uh, uh, something that with no side effects that does that. It's called walking, and yet mm. very few people are taking it up. Mm. Um, but a deep intrigue I have just at the physical benefits of walking, but also this notion of things get worked out in us that sometimes we don't work out in any other way. Uh, and I tell some stories about that, that I don't think I could solve this on a therapist couch. I don't think I could just go in for a long drive, mm. sitting in my basement, looking at my fireplace is going to do it. I think the only way I can really kind of get to the roots of this and allow God to do something with this is I actually physically have to walk. strange thing as I experienced it, I would intentionally walk really, really slowly. I enjoy running. Right. And you've actually, your book has had me thinking through the difference uh, between running and and walking. Hmm. And I was out for a run one day. In fact, a lot of questions for this, you know, I was midway through the book and I had a lot of questions that all this stuff was kind of coming at me. And that happens a lot when I run. I do a lot of decent thinking but it's thinking at a particular pace. Mm. I, I think that running provides maybe a space for me to think about things I haven't been thinking about. But walking provides a whole different pace with that, not just a space of doing it. But there's this pace at which you're thinking through things. And I've gone through periods in my life where I would walk at night and really, really slowly walk through the neighborhood, through our neighborhood in Georgia. I started doing this every night. Really slowly. And it was funny because people were looking up out the window and like, who's this weirdo walking down the street so slowly, right? Like, that's when it hit me. Like, nobody walks anymore. Chasing the joint. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and I did that. And yet things would happen to me. Or there was a, a little creek in Georgia, Lime Creek. And I would sometimes have a frustrating day. But then I would go and just walk through the woods there. And I would come out different. Um One of my favorite chapters in the book was on walking and exorcism. And it's probably because I've experienced this in my life. And I was really moved by the story that you told about your son, Adam, when he was younger. And I was wondering if you might be willing to share that story from this chapter. Oh, I'd love to. Thank you. I I have to say that's my favorite chapter in the whole book, Mm. Walking is Exorcism. Mm. And And I think I'm breaking some new ground 
or at least sort of a framing of things in a, in a way. And and probably will take some some heat for it down the road, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, I'll tell the story in, a, in just a sec. The, the basic idea is that uh, there's sort of this middle ground between I've got a demon and I need it cast out and only, you know, a spiritual giant or healer or whatever, a warrior of prayer can do that. Mm-hmm. Or I've got human condition things. I get angry. I get afraid. Yeah. There's some middle way between this anger or this fear is human condition, but it's, it's taken root. It's become a stronghold. It's fairly deeply entrenched with a whole bunch, of, and it's affecting a whole bunch of other things. And I, But I don't necessarily need an exorcism. I need to really uh, invite the Lord into that place to do some deeper healing. Yeah. So that's a basic idea. But the story is uh, some years ago when uh, our family was on vacation, our son, uh, he was only 13, but he pulled a prank to hide the car in a, in a place that uh, we're staying. And he got in the car, no driver's license, and totally destroyed three panels. <laughs> it was a virtually brand new car. We'd bought it just a, a few months before. And I had anger toward that that I can only describe as diabolical, like I did not see straight. And it was just out of bounds anger toward this and fear because i thinking, what am I going to do? We don't have the money to repair this. It needs repairing. There's no way I can make a claim on a 13-year-old driving my car. <laughs> um, and so... Uh, my wife saw me in my worked upstate and said, you better go for a walk. And I walked and walked. I don't know how many kilometers I walked, but I walked so long. And as I walked, God began to do the steep work. And I began to realize the real problem here is not this issue with the car. It's something going on in me. This anger is disproportionate, wildly disproportionate to what's going on. And I could do so much more damage than he just did. I could do damage to a living heart if I don't do something. If this doesn't... Satan doesn't get behind me. Mm-hmm. And so I went for a walk and uh, and I t- to weave it in because partly it was uh, we down in the States and it was the first time we've ever been in the States during Memorial Day weekend. So it was July 14th and uh, or Independence Day. And so the, the beach was just strewn with every bit of garbage you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And I began to clean up the garbage as I went. And this became part of the healing, but also became clear to me a bit of a metaphor, (laughs) cleaning up the garbage as I go. And along the way, a memory came to me of virtually around his age. I I was a bit older. I actually had my driver's license. But my very first day driving, I did the exact same thing to my father's car. I hung it three panels up and profoundly damaged them. And I expected my dad, who tended to have anger issues anyhow, to really take it out on me. And his response was nothing short of miraculous, just this gentle spirit and laughed at it and said, we'll figure it away. And that kind of worked itself out in a pretty extraordinary way. Anyhow, by the time several hours later, I finally got back, I felt that some something profoundly had shifted in me, that the person who left and the person who came back was a different person mm. and that the Lord had met me not just to deal with my anger because this was something else mm. this this almost was a I, I was about to do kill seal and destroy stuff I was going to do I'd be a mission a mission agent for the evil one <laughs> and I re- remember standing with my arms around my son I'm going to cry as I talk about it and looking at the damage and me laughing like my dad did mm. and saying we'll figure out a way and God worked that out uh, in a very extraordinary way as well. All that's in, in the book. 
But I, um, you know, when I think about that, I think, what is that? What? And, and most people can testify that there's something that has been deep in their psyche, their personality, their spirit that is not simply that you, as a as a human, get angry or afraid, or you have moments of lust or whatever. But this kind only really comes out by prayer, or this kind only really gets cast out by somehow this deeper encounter with God, mm. and. Uh, that could happen in many ways, but I think one of the, the actual most efficient, effective ways to really experience that, that deeper level of transformation is to go for a walk. I, so many things, I think, converge in that story from the book, like the memory, you know, walking is yeah. walking is restored memory. Yeah. Suddenly the story comes back to you. Walking is prayer, and even walking away from something and walking towards something. Yeah, I, I had never even thought about how how much the conversion that story. Uh, maybe I knew it intuitively, but right. thank you for noticing that. Yeah, that's beautiful. I'm I'm 42, and I was talking uh, with a spiritual director the other day, and I've always had this sense, mainly because uh, I noticed it happening in my own life that I think late 30s, early 40s, something happens to a person. And the little things that you didn't pay attention to along the way mm. become big things all of a sudden. They're the ne- some of the negative paths that you've uh, made by walking time and time again. Yeah. And it just seems small, but suddenly you have a path, right? And for me, and I think this is why the story spoke so incredibly to my heart, was that Walking for me became a way of finding a new path, walking away from some of these things and toward a deeper peace. And it was really, really beautiful. And I loved when you wrote what needs to be torn from you, right? We don't always like to talk about (laughs) exorcism and and these types of things, but you wrote it in such a disarming way. What needs to be torn from you? Ask to leave, name it, and then walk. Walk with Jesus until he says a word, until it gets behind you until the thing departs, until you are dressed and in your right mind. That, even as I read it again, I thought, it's incredibly beautiful. Like I think I've experienced walking as prayer. I've experienced walking as exorcism. But you were able to put the words to it. And I found myself reading and, and wanting to walk more. Oh, that's lovely. I, I read a fair bit, and books can be good maps, but occasionally you find an author who does more than provide a map and actually becomes this guide in the journey. And I've, I've really felt like your book accomplished that. So thanks so much for that, Mark. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. I'm curious if during the research phase, I mean, you mentioned kind of starting out on a book, you have maybe 35 pages. Yeah. And then you hit the research phase. Was there anything in particular that really surprised you during the research phase of this project? Yeah, a couple things. One is is that this ancient practice, or that so something that Native people have known for a long time, with for instance some of their ceremonies around cedar, uh, the healing properties that are actually in the fragrance of plants and especially trees. Mm. Uh, the Japanese have a whole practice around that, and as I say, Native people have known that and practiced that, or at least intuitively known that. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is scientifically demonstrable that the properties that are in the fragrance of trees are a part of the healing and protecting properties of the plants themselves, mm. but uh, do great things within our body. And so there is something when you go for a walk in the woods and all that aroma and fragrance of the pine and the cedar and the salal and whatnot, yeah. that 
and you feel refreshed coming back, that is not just a psychological refreshment. Something's entered your body that is part of its well-being and healing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that, uh, and it came out of not particularly any piece of research, it was sort of a convergence or merging of the research. It's stunning what happens when, when you think about walking is when we carry ourselves. Huh. Uh, literally, we carry ourselves. So if, you know, somebody came into your room right now and they were carrying a child, we wouldn't, we wouldn't really be astonished by that because a child is much smaller than an adult if an adult was carrying a child. But if, if an adult was carrying an adult or a child a child, that would catch your attention because there's a sense where something must have gone terribly wrong here yeah. that you have to carry somebody around the same size and weight you are. Mm. Well, we're doing that all the time we walk. We're carrying ourselves. And if we have the capacity to walk, and I do deal with those who can't walk uh, in a couple places in the book, but um, if we have capacity to walk, it doesn't matter how sedentary we are, how bound to mechanical modes of transport, there's some point where you have to get up out of the chair and you have to walk and finish it. You walk into the restaurant, walk to the, you know, get your mail. Mm. And at that point, you actually carry yourself. So that was a discovery that it sort of emerged out of the research that I hadn't had that thought at the beginning of the writing. But it becomes, to me, like one of the most extraordinary things about the gift of walking and the practice of walking. We carry ourselves, and it, it then has obviously implications in terms of what God is saying to us about this, this gift of walking. When I finished this book, I realized that it seems like you have a thread that's woven through all of your work. And, you know, I hesitate to say that because each book of yours stands on its own, of course. I guess what I'm saying is that there's a cohesiveness too. And I put it down. I thought, you know, is it any surprise that a guy who writes so compellingly on Sabbath or seasons or paying attention uh, to hidden things in plain sight, right, that writes a book like this? Hmm. Um, So without detracting from each book's individuality, I wonder if you could put your work as a whole into a few sentences. What is your work saying, you know, or what's your work asking of us? And how does this book fit into that? I love this question. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can say it in two words, pay attention. Yeah. I, I, and, I, and I only realized that, Phil, after I'd written and published a few books, what is the, the grounding theme? What is the, co- you know, what is the center of all of these? Is there, is there anything that they share in common? And every one of the books I've written could easily be summarized by pay attention. Mm. And that is a, obviously, you know, one of my key concerns as a pastor and a professor of theology yeah. is pay attention to God. But I think that God is asking us to pay attention to, to a lot of things, to his creation, to ourselves, to our neighbor, to our spouse, to our kids. And so really that's what I've been about for the last 20 years of publishing I just I keep writing the same book. Pay attention. Well, your book has uh, it really has helped me to do that. Uh, and actually, th- at the end of the book, you had written a good book, like a good story or a good sermon, is not done when it's over. Mm. After the last page, the book, if it has any merit at all, still lingers, troubles, tickles, woos. It keeps bringing things to us and demanding things of us. 
And your book has definitely done this for me. And I'm wanting to walk more. I'm wanting to pray more, remember more, move towards God, but also away from captivity, uh, see more exercise out of me. So thanks for guiding me, Mark. And I can't wait for more people to read this book. When is it available and where can people get it and keep up with your work as a whole? Oh, thanks. Uh, this is books available on all uh, booksellers uh, in internet and in stores, if we can get back into those, July 14th. And all my books are available on those sites. But if you also go to markbuchanan.net, that's my personal website. All of my works and sometimes I blog and whatnot are all there. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for writing this book. And thanks for taking the time today to talk about it. Phil, what a pleasure. Thank you. That wraps my interview with Mark Buchanan. Once again, head over to Amazon or wherever you buy your books and check out God Walk. It is an amazing book. Hey, and stay tuned for future episodes. Coming up next, I'll be interviewing my good friend Brian Miller and Stu G. You might remember Stu from the band Delirious. He's been involved in some incredibly thoughtful work, both in film, in uh, writing, in a podcast now called The Beatitudes Project. And so I'll be interviewing them about the Beatitudes and about the work that they're currently doing. Until next time, grace and peace. Mm-hmm.